welcome to the Be Glad Movement. My name's Pollyanna and I'm on a mission to bring you as many stories as possible of good coming out of bad and reasons to be glad. In this episode, I talk to Carrie Creed. Carrie is based over in the States, but funnily enough, we were put in touch by a mutual friend who lives in Australia. Carrie's story is based around two very different but both very long stays in hospital. One for a major operation on her leg, and the other due to an extremely complicated pregnancy. Listen on to hear how she used the power of positive thinking to get her through that harrowing time, but also how she did eventually have to stop and work through her emotions. Hi everyone! Polly, thank you so much for having me on your Be Glad movement. It's uh, so dear and near to my heart with everything I've gone through. Oh, bless you. Thank you so much for um, for asking to be on. It's such an honor when people reach out and, and um, want to share their stories because I really, I say this all the time, but I really do believe your story and your voice has the ability to help someone in their time of need. So um, I'm going to literally just like get out of the way and let you tell us all about what happened to you and yeah, so over to you. Well, thank you so much. As you know from our prior conversation, my, uh, my whole life story is very unique. And I truly attribute the mental ability of positive thinking while you're going through challenges to get you through these difficult times. To take you back um, 18 years ago when I was 20 years old, I had a major, major surgery on my leg. Um, I was born with a genetic condition called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And that syndrome has uh, 13 different uh, characteristics within it. Um, I have the most common, I guess is a good thing, um, but it's the hypermobility aspect. So I'm very flexible. My ligaments and tendons are basically very flex, uh, stretched out and my joints sublux and dislocate very easy. So think of a contortionist, think of a gymnast, think of Cirque du Soleil, doing all those crazy acrobats um, and different flexible tricks. I can pretty much do all of those. And they were party tricks. Now, not so much. Uh, they became very painful and the syndrome became a very painful condition um, while growing up through childhood and, and still to this day. Right. What had happened was the ligament in my leg had stretched out and it re-rotated the way I walked. And all of a sudden, um, instead of my knees pointing straight, so if your feet are parallel and they're right in front of you, if you're standing up, your kneecaps point forward. Well, my right kneecap pointed completely to the left, and when my knee bent, it bent behind my left leg, but my mm -hmm. feet stayed parallel. So I know that is so hard to even picture, and thankfully I actually have a video of this that maybe you can share at some point. But the doctors, after a surgery had failed um, when I was in high school, once in college, I had to complete a double rotational osteotomy, which means these orthopedic surgeons, which were amazingly talented and I'm so grateful for, literally took a saw and sawed my femur, my thigh bone apart, and sawed my tibula and fibula apart, which is the lower part of your leg, and rotated my leg in opposite directions and inserted 12 rods in my leg to keep my leg apart. Oh my goodness, that's so horrific. It was, it was absolutely horrific. Uh, I ended up having numerous complications. I was in the hospital in Philadelphia for 73 days. Wow. I had uh, contracted a very serious infection after the surgery and I actually had one of the rods fall out and they had to repair that and go back in. The challenging part with this type of break, it's not like when you have a cast on your arm or your leg and it just heals naturally. You have to walk 
So you have to have the bones compressed together for the cells to calcify for them to heal because of the cut is so straight through. Right. So walking was the only way to heal my leg. And so mm -hmm. I endured multiple hours of physical therapy a day walking on my leg with these 12 rods with a broken in many, many parts. Oh my goodness. Well, that just sounds so painful and you know, it's scary from a medical point of view as well, because all those, I mean, you obviously know it all inside out, but the, the terminology that you just sort of threw at me was a bit like, wow, that all sounds very technical and you have high tech medicine. So um, I imagine that was probably quite scary because how old did you say you were? 20. So you'd already I was 20 years old at that time. Mm -hmm. It was after my freshman year in college. Um, and at that point, you know, when you're 20, your biggest concerns are, when am I getting back to school? Well, you know, how, how will I see my friends? You know, you're not necessarily thinking too much about, um, you know, finances. I'm on my parents' health care still. Um, you know, I'm living at home, I'm you know, going to school. You don't have the normal care as you do as a, a quote unquote adult. Um, so it was a different mental experience than what happened most recently, but I'll continue to take you down the path with my leg first. So I was discharged after 73 days, basically because being inpatient wasn't providing any more benefits. And they sent me home um, a little bit before Thanksgiving, which is in November. And I remained in home um, for six months. And I was in a hospital bed in my two bedroom apartment with my mom in the living room. And at that point, it took two people to get me out of bed. I had blew out both of my shoulders rehabbing because I was on a walker and I was learning how to walk on parallel bars. And as you can imagine, you take a lot of the weight of your body on your shoulders to not put that weight on your broken leg. Oh and goodness. because of my condition, I ended up blowing out both of my shoulders. Ooh. So I then had two shoulder braces that I needed to wear and I was no longer to use the support of my arms ever. So think about if you're trying to get out of bed and you push down on the mattress to go, you know, to go like this, I couldn't do that anymore. My shoulders would dislocate. So wow. someone would literally need to be behind me and grab underneath my arms and someone would have to hold my leg. Now, wow. I lived at home with my mom who was a single parent. So we didn't have two people at the house. No. So I had to wait till uh, physical therapy or a nurse came throughout the day and my father came down in the evenings to do physical therapy with me. So I had physical therapy three times a day and all it was was walking back and forth in my living room. And we would do a dance. The person, uh, the physical therapist or my nurse or my dad would hold the belt that I had to wear around my waist. And that was to, if I fell, they would grab me by the belt. But we would literally almost do a dance where they'd walk backwards, I'd walk forward. And we'd have to really focus on making sure our legs were always in sync. Because if my leg hit theirs, or if the pins that stuck out of my leg 12 inches hit theirs, it was excruciating. Oh my goodness, yeah, I can imagine, crikey. So uh, high tension for, for all of you, you know, the person, be it your mum, dad, or the physio, uh, trying to support you, and you, you know, it's, it must be quite frightening thinking if I fall, and I've got all this gubbins around me that might poke me, or, you know, wow, I can't even begin to imagine how that must have felt, especially the helplessness of being stuck in bed until there were more hands there to help you. Yeah, and that was what was most challenging. I did find during that time, your mental capabilities and what you choose to focus on is what heals you or hurts you. So I choose to have it help me and heal me. And I, choose, I chose to control what I was able to control, because let's face it, I was told I was gonna miss one semester of school. At that time, I was in nursing school to help others. 
and I was supposed to miss one semester. I ended up missing two years. Wow. So I needed to control what I could. And so what I could control in my little hospital bed was as silly as it sounds, the way my stuffed animals were lined up before I went to bed, the order of my blankets that went over me and the quotes, the motivational and positive quotes that I read before I went to bed and the music I listened to. And I chose to do certain things every day, um, almost a little bit of OCD, but I chose to do that because that's what I was able to control. And that's what gave me the positive mindset to wake up the next day with a smile. You know, we did things, um, you know, when I was on a ton of pain medicine to stay out of, to stay out of pain. And my mom had done the best she can do, which was incredible, to try to make me smile throughout the day. We, she brought down drawers from my bedroom that was upstairs and we would clean out my sock drawer and my t-shirt drawer, you know, and we'd be like, okay, you can't go to your bedroom for spring cleaning, but let me bring it to you. <laughs> uh, my friends would visit and we would take funny pictures and, you know, we, we would make the best of it. It was all about trying to stay out of pain as much as possible and also trying to, you know, feel normal as a 20 year old woman who couldn't go to the bathroom and couldn't take a shower. I had bedpans and bed baths for over 13 months. Wow. So, you know, losing privacy, losing that ability to be independent was really challenging. Um, but to have the support system that I had is what really got me through it. Amazing. Yeah. Your mum, um, you know, I salute your mum for all that. Obviously, she's going to do it because she loves you, but um, we we don't sort of always appreciate our parents until we're older ourselves, do we, you know? Oh, so true. Until I became a mom myself, I didn't realize what it's like to, to have a child who's going through a challenge and, and, and going through pain. It's, it's unbelievable. In the hospital, she actually slept in a chair for the 73 days and never left my side. Oh, love her. Wow. Wow, that's real dedication. Oh, and, and what was it like when you finally got to go back to to college? Did you, I mean, obviously all your other friends that you'd made in that first year had moved on. So did you kind of have to start all over again? I did. I actually had to move and change universities. Um, so I had lived in Northeastern Pennsylvania, about two hours from Philadelphia at that time. And I was going to the University of Scranton and I was a nursing student. Um, the doctors had advised me not to go into nursing. They said it would be too physical of a career, um, moving patients, doing 12-hour shifts. And they, you know, looking back on it, they were, they were right. Um, so uh, they actually had also said I needed to move to Philadelphia after my surgery because what had happened was um, once I was home for the six months, um, my body actually was starting to reject the metal in my leg and my infection was worsening. And my leg actually wasn't healing at all. I had a complete non-union. So after a six months uh, time frame, you know, six, seven, eight month time frame, my leg was only 20% healed. Okay. And in May, they had to rush me back to the hospital. So a two hour ambulance ride and they had to remove the pins. And at that point they had said, Harry, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, we, your leg can shatter. We're removing 12 pins in a, in a leg that's been sawed in half in multiple locations. Um, you might wake up with new pins. Um, you brought a brace that somebody tried to fit you. We're going to try to see if that works. We might have to amputate. Like we don't know what is going to happen. And going into that surgery, I remember the knot that was in my stomach, but I was determined to go into that with a positive mindset. Uh, I think at 20, I did the best I could. I remember kind of freaking out a little bit in, in pre-op. But, um, you know, that was a very, very scary moment. And thankfully, one of the only things that went to plan was uh, they were able to save my leg. It didn't shatter. 
I didn't need to get more pins in. Um, the brace that I had brought that somebody had fit me since the fitting was almost impossible to do did not even come close to fitting. So they did have to uh, fit me for another leg when I was under general anesthesia, uh, fit me for another cast, I mean. And in 24, 48 hours, uh, that was you know, airlifted to the hospital. And I was able to now start to learn to walk with this new robo cast, uh, robo brace that went all the way up my leg with metal up my side and a big part that was around my, uh, you know, my whole chest. Gosh, wow. My goodness. I can't even begin to imagine how frightening that must have been for you and your parents, you know, um, to, to lose a limb. Um, it's a massive life changing situation, isn't it? And, um, thank goodness you got to, to keep your, uh, your limbs. So that's brilliant. Um, and, and I'm just always in awe and marvel at modern technology and medicine. It's in, incredible. So, um, yeah, that, what a blessing that they managed to keep your, to save your leg. Thank goodness. I am so grateful for so many things that I have gone through and what the doctors and nurses and all of the, the physical therapists that had helped me. Um, you know, all I wanted to do was to be able to walk down the aisle someday. And that was something that I really visualized when I was 20 um, to really, am I going to be able to do that in the way that I've always envisioned that as a little girl? You know, it oh. seems like such a simple thing, but you know, when you start getting scared about how your life could potentially change if you don't have a leg, um, that is the one thing that I really tried to visualize. So, you know, I, the, the great part of the story is I went on to learn how to walk again. And, you know, when I was discharged from the hospital after my brace, my mom and I lived at the Philadelphia Ronald McDonald House um, for many, many months, for five and a half months. And I am so overly grateful for them. Um, they allowed us to, to stay there, be a part of their community. And the reason why I had to stay there is because, again, we lived two hours from that location. And I was in a wheelchair with my brace and I had to do multiple hours a day of physical therapy outpatient at a local hospital uh, five days a week. So a wheelchair van picked me up in the morning and I spent pretty much the whole day at uh, the University of Pennsylvania's Outcare um, Outpatient Physical Therapy Center to learn how to walk, to get my shoulders back, to be able to use my arms. And I slowly started to you know, get rid of parts of the brace. After a few months, they were able to remove the part that was around my chest. And you know they slowly were able to unlock the part around my knee to help me start to bend my leg. I hadn't bent my leg in over a year, wow. and so just that you know, uh, just the thought of trying to bend something. Think of how stiff we are in the morning after we just sleep with our arm in a weird spot. Could you imagine not moving for a whole year? And the hard part was they couldn't force it to bend because again my leg still wasn't healed, and so any pressure they would put on it or any type of aggressive therapy would actually put pressure on the wrong spot and could start me back from scratch. So it was very gradual, very slow physical therapy. Um, but luckily, the only thing that silver lining was there was that the Ehlers-Danlos that I have that allows me to be extra flexible gave me basically my mobility back. Wonderful. I have, like, I have over probably 95% of um, uh, use back of my leg. There's certain positions I can't sit in, you know, crisscross applesauce, like they say in school, um, is, is difficult for me. Um, you know, certain running is still a challenge. So there's certain twisting positions because of the way my leg was rotated. That is hard. But otherwise, you know, I'm, um, I have my leg and I have my life and I'm extremely, extremely grateful to, to be glad. Amazing. And that's so cool that you've got all of your mobility back, essentially. You, you've already explained slight 
you know bits and pieces that make it are more difficult for you but in general you are leading a pretty normal happy flexible lifestyle so that's awesome really great and I just wanted to um actually go back to what you said about the Ronald McDonald house because I um I only learned about these uh because my cousin's little girl was very poorly and had they had to stay in one and I hadn't known that they existed before then but I think they are absolutely amazing so full respect to um McDonald's because when I was growing up and we used to nip into McDonald's and put our change in those boxes at the front i didn't even really think about where that money was going but there for those of you who don't know there are these houses right near hospitals that um or, or flats and whatnot that you can stay in and they um certainly for my cousin she they had food and hairdryers and all the things you could think you possibly need to be able to stay and be with your loved ones so they're very very cool yeah it's an incredible community and volunteers come in every night to make dinner for you and I mean, I still, 18 years later, still stay in touch with families who are there with me during that time. Oh, lovely. Um, they're from all over the world. You know, I still, we still send Christmas cards to about six families. So it's just a really special connection you make with people. And even just saying that, I kind of got the chills. I mean, I've, I've done a lot of um, charity work for them and promoting, and I want to continue to do that because they, they really allowed us to be able to get back on our feet. And, and they do it in a way that really helps um, people in such a variety of, of ways. Wonderful, wonderful. So where did life take you next? You went back to uni and what happened? Yep. I went back to university and I, I graduated. Um, I, ch I changed my school. I had to change my major. I graduated and I went on to a very successful sales career. And I've been in sales for 13 years um, and I've, I've loved every minute of it. And I'm still currently in sales in, in the fintech world. And, you know, I've been really thinking about, um, you know, writing a book and talking about my experience with my leg and, you know, life gets busy. I met my husband and we got married and, you know, we had our first child in 2015 and we had a little baby boy named Tristan and it was, it was wonderful. Um, my pregnancy was high risk because of the Ehlers-Danlos. So I was monitored very closely and I had multiple ultrasounds, but everything was great. And he ended up being breech. So, which means instead of his head being down, his feet were down. So I had to have a cesarean. Um, which, you know, which was actually okay. Um, there was a large debate if I should have a, a traditional delivery or not. Um, if I had an epidural, they were nervous that if the nurses had pulled my legs back, that I wouldn't be able to feel that they would dislocate. And I'm very flexible, so my legs can go all the way back. I mean, my feet can go behind my head. So wow. if they're pushing and pushing, um, my, my, and I couldn't feel it, you know, there was a big fear of that being very dangerous for me throughout delivery. And so we weighed the pros and cons um, regular delivery versus cesarean and surgery for me is I have a very hard long, much longer recovery so that's not a great option either so it was like the lesser of two evils um, but God made the decision up for us and he had Tristan be breached so we didn't have to make that choice and you know I, I thought that was a really great blessing in disguise and I had a, a great delivery and they delivered him at 38 weeks just to ensure that I wouldn't go into labor ahead of time and he's been the joy of our life ever since Oh. And when he was about two and a half, my husband and I decided to try to have another baby. And we were blessed to get pregnant very fast. And uh, again, high risk pregnancy, but everything was fine. And uh, at 20 weeks pregnant, I had my normal anatomy scan, which everyone really does um, throughout that time period. They, you know, they count the fingers and the toes and they check to make sure there's four chambers in the heart and, you know, that the, all the organs are there. And um, you can typically find out the sex of the baby at that time. 
Well, during that, um, I had already known I was carrying a, a daughter um, since I was considered um, a geriatric pregnancy because I was over 35. It's, it's hilarious that they call you a geriatric woman when you're 35 years old being pregnant. But uh, at that age, you have to have other testing. So I found out weeks prior that we were having a girl, which I was thrilled with. But during that 20-week ultrasound, um, I learned that I had the condition called placenta previa. And placenta previa is where your placenta in your uterus um, is lower, and it's covering either your entire cervix or a part of it. And the cervix is where your baby comes out through to be delivered. So if that opening is covered, you're obviously not able to deliver your baby in normal fashion, and you'd have to have a cesarean. Mm -hmm. So I was told that, and I thought to myself, okay, I mean, I was most likely gonna have a C-section cesarean again. Um, but my doctor told me that I had an increased chance of bleeding because of the placenta previa um, being near my cervix. And because of another health condition I have with um, a blood clotting disorder called factor five, I had been on uh, blood thinners throughout pregnancy. So I had to give myself, um, or I should say my husband, my wonderful husband had to give me daily shots in my stomach of blood thinners. So since I had an, uh, a, a higher chance of bleeding in the first place, and on blood thinners, I was at a high risk of hemorrhaging at any moment. So the doctor shared with me if I ever bled to make sure I call 911 immediately. And after a very busy December of 2017 of business travel, I was all over the country um, doing, my, doing my thing and was then put on a, a travel ban right before Christmas. And we had Christmas as a family and it was wonderful. And on January 5th, 2018, I went for uh, another ultrasound. And uh, I should say I was supposed to go for another ultrasound, but that was canceled. And I ran, an, uh, I ran a, an errand on my lunch hour, and I ended up hemorrhaging. And I was in a store, and I uh, felt a gush. And I knew that gush was not a, a good gush. Wow. Uh, and I asked myself, I asked to go to the bathroom, and um, when I did, there, there, was, there was blood everywhere. And my heart just sank. At 25 weeks, um, I, I was terrified, but I stayed exceptionally calm because I knew I only had a couple minutes if something worse was gonna happen. And so I called 911 and I told them my name, my medical conditions, how many weeks pregnant I was, why I was bleeding, where I needed to go, what my doctors had said, so everything. So in case I had passed out, they would know what was happening. Um, luckily the bleeding slowed and so I never passed out, but I did have to get on the floor and call the woman out front and. She was more terrified than me. She kind of panicked. Um, and I called my husband and told him to meet me at the hospital. And we got to the hospital and, um, you know, the baby was fine. Um, my daughter had no idea what was happening. The stress test was fine. She was still kicking around. And, uh, but I knew I couldn't stay at that hospital because they did not have a level three NICU. And that means that they can take care of a baby who was born under a certain amount of weeks. Right. So the hospital they took me to um, had a NICU that if only can take care of babies at 32 weeks and above. And so I needed to be at a level three NICU and I wasn't able to be initially transferred there because the, the ambulance had to take me to the closest hospital to try to save me in case I got worse. But I did transfer to another hospital and I never left. I was there for 65 days on complete bed rest. Oh my goodness, wow. That's some, quite something, you know, having spent so much time in hospital when you were younger, um, obviously it was something that you were used, I say used to, but you know what I mean, you've done it before, you're a bit of a veteran, <laughs> um, but no one wants to be stuck in the hospital, no, but, well, 
I mean, as we're filming this, the coronavirus is um, happening and we're all stuck at home, but nobody wants to be stuck in one place for, for that long. So, oh my goodness. And how did you feel about that? Did they tell you straight away or was it just a case of, um, did they say, oh, you're going to definitely have to be here until the baby's born? Or did they say, oh, let's just see how this week goes. Let's see how the next week goes. And how did that build up for you? You're exactly right. And it's interesting to see what's going on now, even in the press and how they're telling people about the quarantine and how schools are closing for just a week or two and then they're being extended. You know, the doctors believed when I first was checked in that I wasn't going anywhere. But they told me, you have to not be bleeding for 24 hours to go home. And I bled on and off for four days. And then once I got to the fourth day, they said, you have to be, you know, not bleeding for a week to go home. And so they carried me another week. And it was at that, right around that week point that I very directly asked my OB doctor, I said, I'm not going anywhere, am I? And she looked at me and she said, no, you're, you're not. We just you know, couldn't tell you that when you checked in because we weren't sure of how your reaction would be. And some people would flip out. So we needed to ease you into the idea of staying here. And I feel like that's kind of what's happening now. We're all being eased into the idea of working from home, being at home with our kids, school being closed, not being able to leave. We're all getting used to bits and pieces of it and then it's being extended. Right, wow. It's interesting, I never thought you were actually, gonna, it didn't occur to me at all that you were gonna say that as a tactic that they, they use, but um, it's quite a clever one really, it makes sense because yeah, if you hit someone with the information that they are not going until that baby's born, you know, um, it is quite a massive thing to, to digest but it gives it by doing it the way they did it gave you that time to um to get used to your surroundings and feel more comfortable with the idea wow but it's still a really long time and and how did you feel during that time were you quite comfortable being there and was it a nice place to be or were you like ah oh, get me home <laughs> oh i was i was scared um i was in a very 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 small room um that literally just fit my bed and a chair um, it was very, very small. There was a large window, um, but I decided that I was going to decorate that room better than any room was ever decorated. I ordered a custom sign that said, keep on cooking, baby sister. So to you know, keep her inside is a saying we say. Um, my son would call her baby sister because we didn't have a name yet. And I had uh, went online and got a, a ton of motivational positive quotes, and I sent them to my husband to print out to bring down to me. And I hung up all of my son's artwork and all my ultrasound pictures and my friends and family, you know, sent me uh, so many wonderful gifts and flowers and uh, I decorated that room. It was, it was more decorated than my dorm room when I went to school. It was, it was pretty awesome. I mean, I had staff coming in saying, I've heard about room, you know, 2001. This is unbelievable. Can I come in and see it? So it just became this cheery space that I had to do to keep my, my mind off of the fact that I was in the hospital. Right. And you know, the other thing that I did that I really feel was extremely helpful is I kept a routine. I, uh, I, I kept, I try to make things as normal as possible in a time that I had no control. I mean, I could have bled again at any moment. And if I did, I had a huge chance of delivering my daughter because every time you would bleed, it would put her, or it's proven to you know, put your baby at some distress. And so then they'd have to weigh the, 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 you know, the ups and downs and the pros and cons of delivering or not. So keeping a okay. mental ability to be calm and focused is extremely important. 
And so what I decided to do was keep as much normalcy as possible. And I worked. I continued to work full time throughout that whole hospital stay. Um, I ended up, you know, crushing my sales quota in just a few weeks and, and really closing a very large deal, which was amazing. And uh, wow. I, I scheduled wow. things throughout the day. I, uh, I scheduled one visitor and then baby monitoring and then a doctor to come in and then a conference call and then lunch. And then I did the same thing again in the afternoon. And what I found is that gave me structure. It, 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 I, I found that having more than two visitors a day was too much. It was too much of a mental drain on me. And so it didn't help me anymore. And so I only had two, two people come. And I found that you know, having more than you know, three or four conference calls was, was too much. And, but I also learned that I had control of my day. And as much as the doctors thought it was, it was silly that I only let them come in to see me at certain time slots, they knew I was working and they respected that. And they knew that's what was helping me get through this really challenging situation. That's amazing. Wow. You're like Wonder Woman pulling all of that off. <laughs> no, hardly, please. Don't give me that much credit. <laughs> yeah. I think that's great, though. I think, you know, like, like when you were talking about the leg operation, you kept structure by controlling the things that you could control. And now, you know, as an older woman and um, a mum already, you kind of, you, I get, I think, you mentioned that you're a geriatric mother. I was a geriatric mother when my son was born as well. I love that term. It's just hilarious. But um, I think you get, you do get to a certain age where you're like, okay, I know what I want and this is how it's going to be. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess the medical system over there is a lot different to it, to what it is here in the UK. And um, I can't even begin to imagine being able to tell the doctors when they could or couldn't come in. <laughs> so that's absolutely fantastic that you were able to take control uh, in that manner. So full credit to you for that. That's incredible. Yeah, and it's all about how you how you do it, obviously, too. And, you know, they, they knew um, how challenging the situation was for me. And, you know, once I um, was moved up to the maternity floor and was told I was staying there, there was another woman that was there that had only been there for a few weeks. And she had checked herself out against medical guidance the day after I arrived. She just couldn't handle it. She couldn't handle being cooped up. She couldn't handle missing her other child at home. She just couldn't handle it. And she checked herself out. And so the doctors knew that this was a really challenging thing, a really challenging situation on a men the mental ability of a person. You know, it was very different than my leg surgery. My friends had said, similar to what you said, you have experience in this. You've been on bed rest before. You've got this girl, you got this. And as much as I would say, oh, I've got it, but this is nothing like my leg surgery. You know, I, I'm a successful woman. I have a career. I'm in charge of finance, you know, family finances. My, I have a husband who has a successful career. I have a son at home. Um, and I'm pregnant with our unborn daughter. Like the, the, the pressures, the stresses, the anxiety um, is, was so far different than what it was when I was 20. Um, and so it really tested your mental ability. You know, I wasn't in pain. Um, I, I wasn't worried about, you know, losing a leg. I wasn't in pain with having another surgery. I was worried about dying. I was worried about, you know, something impacting me for the rest of my life. At any, at any moment, I could have bled and hemorrhaged. And if I wasn't, you know, in the OR in a certain amount of time, and I'm talking like seconds on, under a minute, I would bleed to death. And it would be really hard to, to save me or... And even if, and if they were able to do that and I had a massive blood transfusion, that could affect me, you know, there's other, you know, side effects from that that could affect our family for the rest of our life. So it was a very high intense uh, traumatic experience that I had to not focus on. 
so it was, you know, I was, I was really using the, my wall of motivation with all my quotes and, you know, the, the warmness of the room around me. I listened to a lot of Nora Jones and Enya to calm me throughout the day. And I had, you know, um, the Lumineer candles that look real, but they're just battery operated. And it was a very serene room that I created to try to keep calm. And, you know, working as strange as that sounded, kept me calm. You know, people had said, oh, you know, Netflix, binge watch shows, watch movies, read some books. I couldn't do that because that tricked my mind. That told me if I had time to do that, something was wrong. Yeah, I think, you know, what you were saying about um, going to work, using your mind to concentrate on the practicalities of being at work. So, so many, so many of us, I think I probably would be as well, would be like, oh, yeah, you know, um, this is the perfect excuse not to have to go to work. Uh, but actually, under the circumstances, having that distraction um, probably helped you from, because you can sit and watch Netflix, but your mind is still working, and but usually in a negative way, you can start thinking about all the things that could potentially go wrong. So if you're concentrating on your clients and your conference calls and that kind of thing, you're not then allowing your mind to go down any negative downward spiral. So um, that's, you know, you having that foresight was was actually quite a cool thing because so many people be like dude i'm not going back to work <laughs> i need to concentrate on looking after me but you actually knew that that was the way to look after you which is really cool it was it was you're exactly 100 percent right it was the way that i needed to look after myself and i also said i don't take maternity until my baby comes so I did also didn't want my maternity leave to start before my baby arrived. And I you know, didn't want to lose that time after. And, you know, that was a big concern for me too. And, you know, I, I didn't wrap things up at work the way I needed to before I went out. And I'm very conscientious with that. And I couldn't have just stepped away at that point on January 5th. Things weren't tied up in a pretty bow as I needed it to be before I stepped away. I needed to finish deals. I needed to feel... Um, fulfilled and I needed to help my clients and that's what helped me too. So you said it exactly right. Um, I even a couple times slipped on conference calls saying I was in my hotel room instead of my hospital room. And I truly tried to say like I was remote working because I travel for business a good amount and I wanted to make it feel like I'm just remote working. You know, I'm in a, I'm in a hotel room and, and I'm, you know, working remotely. So I try to create that normalcy. Um, and I think what helped me too is there was an end line. It was an end in sight. My leg surgery, there wasn't. I had no idea how long it was going to go on for. Um, thinking it was only going to be one semester of school helped me in the beginning. Um, but when it continued past the year, that's where it got challenging. This situation had an end date. Um, once my condition worsened in the hospital after I was there for three weeks, the placenta previa turned into placenta accreta and then placenta increta. And what that means is my placenta then decided to dig itself in my uterus and grow inside of it. And that's when that condition, that's when things for me got real and got really dangerous about the possibility of, of me dying and hemorrhaging. Um, and that's when they shared with me that I wouldn't be able to carry my daughter past 34 weeks. So prior to that, um, they were gonna let me carry her to about 37 weeks, maybe 38 if I like pushed a little bit. Um, but as soon as I got that diagnosis of placenta accreta, I A, wasn't going anywhere. Um, and B, couldn't carry her past um, March 6th. So her original due date was April 15th. Um, she was supposed to be my April baby, and, um, but they you know, moved it back to March 6th. And once I had that date, there was no turning back. 
I uh, had my handmade calendar on the wall and I would cross off the days I was in the hospital every day and I had a big red circle around March 6th. And I would visualize that day multiple times throughout the day. And any doctor that tried to tell me the chances of me getting there was very slim and it probably wouldn't happen. And to prepare for it not happening, I would say, I'm sorry, but you can turn around and you can leave because I'm getting to March 6th. And that was my attitude the entire time. Amazing. And, and in that time, did you, did you cut back on work at all once you had the new diagnosis or it carried on the same? You kept your routine? It, it carried on the same. Um, it wasn't, I, I did notice that the amount of hours I had to work, um, it's interesting when you're on complete bed rest for the first five weeks, I wasn't even allowed to leave my hospital room. I could get up to go to the bathroom, but that was it. Um, and when, you're, when your body slows down that much, so does your brain. And it was taking me a lot longer to formulate emails and write proposals. And so my eight hour workday turned out to be like an 11 hour workday in some cases. Um, I wasn't, you know, cold calling throughout that time and, you know, prospecting, but I was working on closing the deals and my pipeline and taking care of clients needs at that moment. So I continued to do that um, up until um, three days, actually up until two days before I delivered. Uh, only thing I did, it was interesting. So when no one told me I'd get to March 6th, um, I got to March 6th and it was a week before March 6th that I said to myself, okay, I, I'm really close. I haven't used this time to my advantage. I probably should have done a couple projects. I probably should have, you know, worked on some family photo albums or read a book or did something for myself throughout this time. Um, but mentally I couldn't, but I allowed myself the week before March 6th to work on a couple photo albums online and to do a couple things I needed to do um, in my spare time. And when I got to March 5th, the day before, it was very funny. I said to myself, gosh, I should have started all that like a lot earlier because I could have got a lot of stuff done. <laughs> but I couldn't and mentally I couldn't and that's what saved me. And it's funny because now we're all in quarantine and we're all trying to work from home and and all that and I hear some friends and family saying oh, I'm gonna use this time you know in the nights and the mornings and my lunch hour to clean out the closet and you know purge some of my kids toys and it'll be really interesting when this is all over because let's face it it'll, it'll be all over soon enough will we have got those jobs done you know will we have completed those goals half of us will and half of us won't because we don't ever want to take that first action because we're afraid because we think we have more time we think we'll do it next week we think we'll do it next week and then soon this is gonna be over and we're all gonna to return to the office and we're gonna say, wow, I wasted a lot of time where I could have been really productive. Yeah, you're right, yeah. you're so right. It's always tomorrow, 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 isn't it? You think you're gonna have all the time in the world to get something done, but unless you start, it, it just stays on that back burner. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, I mean, long story short, I hit my goal and I delivered my beautiful baby daughter, Tenley, on March 6th. Um, it was a controlled surgery where they had over 30 people in the OR. Um, you know, there was a uh, multiple specialists there. Um, I did have a blood, a blood transfusion because I did have some bleeding, which was expected, but the surgery went incredible. And I am so grateful to the fabulous doctors um, within Mainline Hospital who main, you know, made me and my family whole again. And you know, I, did, uh, I had to have a hysterectomy during the surgery which was known prior. Um, when you have placenta accreta, um, since your placenta grows into your uterus, the only way to remove your placenta is by having a hysterectomy, by removing your entire uterus. 
Wow. Um, so that was very challenging. That was very difficult news that I received while in the hospital, obviously, um, many, many weeks before I delivered. Very emotional, um, very, very difficult diagnosis to know that, you know, I wouldn't be able to have more children and that a part of, you know, part of my body, a part of what makes me a woman would be removed. And that was a very difficult um, a diagnosis to accept. Of course. Yeah, it must have been. It must have been. Yeah. And um, sorry, your daughter's name was Tenley, was it? Tenley. Tenley. Yeah. And was she okay? She came out happy enough? Yeah, she did. She was born at the 34 weeks. Um, she was five pounds, nine ounces, which is incredible. Uh, the one thing my placenta did was nourish her so much. My placenta was the size of it would be if I was having triplets. It was massive. And so it gave her wonderful nutrients. So she was actually a lot larger than she probably should have been at 34 weeks. Um, she had to stay in the NICU for 18 days because her lungs were premature and she needed some time to, you know, to get some help breathing and get some help eating. But she came home with us as a family on March 24th um, in 2018. It was actually two years ago yesterday, which was really exciting. Um, and uh, we were finally under one roof together, which was, which was amazing. And, uh, you know, to get through that experience and to pull through the, the positive mindset that I was able to learn from my leg surgery to get me through that experience, um, I'm starting to figure out what life's all about. You know, if I didn't have my leg surgery prior, I'm not sure I would have been able to get through that experience with the success that I did. Sure. Yeah. My goodness. It all adds up, doesn't it? It's funny how this it is really funny how life sometimes just works out that way. And it's not until you're going through something that you can then, or, or more to the point at the other side of, of a massive experience that you can look back and say, okay, well, if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't have known this, or I wouldn't have been able to do that. And yeah, looking back, it's easier to connect the dots. So, mm -hmm. and, yeah, incredible. Gosh, you've been through so much. <laughs> well, it's all for a reason. And I'm hoping my story can, you know, can really, really help others. And, you know, what's interesting is when I had these two experiences and I pulled from the mindset and the positive thinking and all of that, um, you know, I thought when I came home with my daughter after she was after she was home that everything was all over and we can go back to living this wonderful life again. And, you know, that really wasn't the case. And, and that's what made me really want to, to share my story because uh, when I was four months postpartum, so that 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 summer, I uh, ended up having a, a lot of anger, uh, a lot of resentment, a lot of sadness. Um, I had a lot of connection issues with my daughter. You know, not having her come home with me after 65 days in the hospital and stay in the hospital really messed up my mind. Um, you know, it was almost feeling like I didn't have a baby and that something happened and I was just now leaving the hospital. And um, even though I returned every day to spend eight hours, ten hours with her in the NICU, it just didn't feel didn't feel right. Um, and it's really hard to explain that um, to somebody who may not have ever gone through it. Um, and I, uh, I had all this anger and, you know, the doctors had said to me after I left the hospital, we really want to make sure that you, you know, go into some weekly therapy and that you speak to a therapist once a week because you've been through a lot. And, you know, it's important to get those emotions out and you're going to have a lot of feelings. And I said, okay, you know, I'm willing to do that. I think that's important and I would love to. So I did go to weekly therapy and, you know, up until four months, I was quote unquote, fine. You know, I was doing my thing and, you know, on maternity leave and making sure my, you know, my daughter was okay and my son was good and I was happy to be home. And then all this anger came and all these triggers came. And, you know, I'd see on Instagram, um, a maternity, you know, uh, an ad for maternity clothes, or I'd see a newborn baby, or I'd see somebody announce they're pregnant and I would be so resentful. And I was so angry that I would never have that again. And 
I'd never shop for maternity clothes and never have a baby kick in my stomach again. And all of the last experiences being pregnant was taken from me um, with being in the hospital. I had all this anger and um, I just didn't know why. There's not only the element of, you know, that being in the hospital was all about having a baby. It was all, you are only there for the sake of your daughter. And then to have to leave the hospital without her, you know, there are people that, um, that bring babies home and they find it hard to bond anyway, regardless. So yeah, you, you really did miss out on the enjoying people. You know what it's like, people want to touch your bump or um, guess whether it's a girl or a boy and that complete strangers feel entitled to do that. Um, <laughs> totally. So you kind of missed out on that, that really sort of big stage of walking around and people complimenting you and things like that. So you did miss out on a lot. And then to have, you know, done the thing that any mother would do, what is best for their child, staying put, you know, not necessarily relaxing in the typical sense of the word, but looking after yourself in the hospital. So then suddenly um, you being discharged and little Henley having to stay there, that's a massive shock to the system, you yeah. know. Um, I can only begin to imagine. So so you were suffering with, with the anger and the resentment and, you know, feeling like you were never going to, obviously never going to, um, to have another child. A, a hysterectomy is so final. Um, so I'm not surprised you felt um, anger and resentment. So, um, what happened then? How did you deal with that? Yeah, th thankfully, I had a, and I still have a, a wonderful therapist who I work with, and she just happened to be trained in EMDR. Um, and EMDR is a is a type of therapy. It's eye movement. Um, uh, desensitization. And what it does is it basically heals your brain into healing. So it, it tricks it into reprocessing your trauma. Um, and what it is, it's, I almost viewed it as a little bit of like hypnosis, which I'm sure that is totally not the right way of describing it. Um, but it, the way it was described to me is our brain all has, you know, files in a, in a filing cabinet. And when we go through trauma and when trauma, you're not healed from it, that filing cap or that file sticks up in the filing cabinet and the door can't close. So until we heal that trauma and that file can go back down, then you're at the door and the filing cabinet can close. So the trauma of my delivery um, basically had a file sticking up and it, it wouldn't allow me to heal. And so we needed to relive that whole trauma. Um, what's crazy about that whole experience is it brings up all other traumas in your life. And so I ended up talking through all other different things that has gone in my childhood that you know, maybe had bothered me that I didn't even know had bothered me. Um, and so, you know, once we got to the, the experience of the delivery and the hospital stay and the bleeding and uh, all that, I was able to work through that. And I was able to heal and express my emotions and finally express how scared I was because I really tried really hard throughout the hospital to ignore it and to push on and to act like nothing was wrong. And to continue working and, and continue to be cheery and people would say you're, you're still smiling you're always smiling and like there's no there's no alternative you know there's so much to be grateful for and at some point you have to crash you, you have to come down and coming down is okay but while I was coming down I thought I failed and I remember being in therapy saying I don't understand like why did I fail I'm the optimist I'm the positive one like how did I fail and, you know, my therapist, of course, said I didn't fail, and, but it took me a while for me to realize I didn't fail. That was just a part of my journey. If I failed, I would have stayed there, and I would have fallen into a deep depression, or I would have started abusing alcohol or drugs, or I would have, 
you know, did something horrible to myself or something. Um, that would have been, you know, catastrophic. But to me, I, I rose above again and I fought and I pulled the positive out of this and I reconnected with my daughter and I, you know, went back to work after I took a six month maternity leave and I went back to work and uh, I got my confidence back. And today I'm, you know, two years out, my daughter just had her second birthday. And, uh, you know, I can say that I'm probably 90, 95% fully healed and, and, and back to where I was prior, but I'm a better version of who I was prior because of what I've learned about myself and what I've learned throughout this entire experience. We spend so much of our lives trying to avoid difficult situations and avoid pain and discomfort, but actually a lot of the time it is what makes us stronger in the long run, you know, it makes us a better human, more self-aware, more aware of the people around us and having more empathy for the people around us as well. So, wow, what an incredible story. It's just, you know, you've been through a lot and, um, I'm so glad that you reached out and, and shared that and that, you know, looking back at, you've already sort of given so much great advice, but is there any specific advice that you would give somebody in, in those situations that you've been through? You know, I, I think my, my tips are similar to what I had said was, you know, control what you can control. You know, today in this whole quarantine, we can't control if our stores are out of toilet paper. You know, we can't control if our schools stay closed throughout the rest of the year. What we can control is that we're calm in our house in front of our children. We can control that we set up a workout routine for us, you know, in our, in our living room or our basement or we go for a jog. We can control what we eat. So we don't gain, you know, 10, 20 pounds. And when this whole thing is over, we all get really depressed because we don't look the same way and our clothes don't fit. So control the things we can control and focus on those. We can't control the stock market. Don't focus on that. You know, worrying about something doesn't make us doesn't make the situation change. Um, you know, it doesn't get you anywhere. It just causes your brain to focus on the negative, which then creates a negative emotion, which then makes us feel down, which then makes everyone around us feel down. So as much as it's, you know, it sounds so cliche to be, say, to be grateful, to be happy, be grateful and happy. I mean, we are all just being asked to be in our homes with our children. You know, we're not asked to be in our bedrooms or, you know, our children are being taken away and, you know, there's food for us to get. And, and yes, there are horrible, horrible things happening in the world with the economy and with businesses closing and people contracting this virus. And there is many people going through horrific things right now that we're all praying for daily. But if you're not immediately impacted by that, if you and your family are not, and you are just trying to just live your life, be grateful, be grateful. That's really all it is. And focus on that and get yourself on a schedule and try not to be in your jammies every day. You know, you don't need to go crazy homeschooling with your kids, but try to do one or two things. Set small goals. Try to be grateful. Try to get on a schedule and um, exercise and drink water and eat right. It sounds simple, but we'll all be much better if we do that throughout this time. 100%. And it's quite often the simple things that we overlook, isn't it? You know, we think, oh, well, I'm just at home, so yeah, I will stay in my pajamas, and because your pajamas are stretchy, one more biscuit won't matter, you know, and then all of a sudden, you've got to put your workwear back on, and uh, you can't zip it up, <laughs> um, but it is so easy to sort of just think, right, okay, let's kick back and watch Netflix all day rather than exercise, and you know, I'm, I'm guilty of doing that myself sometimes. Me too. So, 
<laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not perfect over here. I literally just did my first yoga class at home just yesterday. We've been on quarantine now for like over a week and a half. So give yourself time. And that's the other advice. Be gracious. Give yourself time and forgive yourself. We're all going through something that we've never had before. So no one's an expert here. No one's going to be able to be a super mom or a super employee right now. So be grace. Give yourself some grace. Um, but don't wait too long to be hard on yourself to say, come on, snap out of it. Get, get up, get dressed, put clothes on, exercise. Don't wait too long to do that. 100%. 100%. Oh, Carrie, thank you so much for giving up your time this morning and sharing all of that with us. You know, it's been really valuable to hear how you sort of, uh, interestingly, I mean, it was my mum that, um, that installed the, the Be Glad movement uh, ethos in me when I was tiny. She, as you know, she named me Pollyanna after the book and film Pollyanna. Um, so I've grown up with, with the glad game and optimism. But was it your mum who also kind of gave you that positive outlook? Or was it, you know, was it just being American? Because I think Americans are really quite positive in general. You know, um, the leg surgery that I went through when my mom was at my side, um, we both were each other's rocks. You know, she'll say that I was her inspiration and I'll say that she was my inspiration. And so we really fed off each other with praising this positive attitude and just having hope that we would get through it. Um, I think you're, you're, each of us are, is born with this um, trait inside of us. We're born with positivity and gratefulness. Just sometimes it's further down and it's harder to reach. And sometimes for some of us, I think it's, it's more to the surface. And the type of person I am, I think it's always been more to the surface. You know, I've overcome uh, uh, some other things throughout childhood and I've always kind of persevered through them and has been the one to say, we've got this everyone and let's do this. So I, I feel like I was a fighter from the beginning and I was able to pull that out that was in me earlier on than maybe others. But I, I urge everyone to, to dig deep and try to get it out of them because we all have it in us. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, you had a natural ability for it. And I think although my mum, you know, was really keen to give me this positive outlook, I think I maybe had a slightly natural ability for it as well. Um, but it's, I, for people that aren't used to um, being positive and using optimism, it is a muscle that you can flex and, and build up. And, you know, you don't just go into the gym once and come out looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger. You, you have to keep going. And, and the more you practice it, the, the better it gets. And I do believe that, um, you know, positivity attracts positivity, as does negativity attracts negativity. So um, thank you so much. Is there, are there any last words you'd like to say or shall I wrap up? I, I'm just so grateful to be a part of your movement. Um, thank you for giving me the opportunity to share my story. You know, I really want to get it out there to others, to help others. You know, there's no reason for me to go through all this if something good can't come out of it. So my goal is to really inspire others, empower them, and to make sure that they know that they can overcome all of their life's uninvited challenges. So thank you for helping me share my story. Oh, thank you for letting me share your story. I really appreciate it. And I 100% know that you will be helping someone, at least one person, probably a lot more than you will ever know by sharing your story. So thank you so much for giving up your time this morning. I really, really appreciate it. Wow, such great insights into how we can protect ourselves in the heat of the moment using positive thinking, but also how important it is to take the time to process our emotions in a constructive way. If you're interested in seeing just how flexible Carrie's knee was before the operation, then head over to the YouTube version of this episode, youtube.com forward slash be glad, and I've inserted a mini clip of Carrie walking with her knee bending really quite dramatically. 
If you like this episode, then please do like and share it with anyone who you feel may benefit from hearing it. And as always, I'm looking for more people to interview. So if you know anybody who you think would be willing to share their story, and it doesn't matter if it's a story that's similar to somebody else's that's been shared before, because I really do believe your story and your voice has the ability to help someone in their time of need. So please do put them in touch. I'd love to hear from them. The Be Glad Movement podcast is free to listen to, but if you did want to help me raise money for the Samaritans, then head over to beglad.co.uk and follow the donation link. Anything that you can afford to give will be so gratefully received. So thank you so much for that. With so much love, you've been listening to Carrie Creed, Pollyanna and the Be Glad Movement. Until next time, take care of yourselves and take care of each other.